great to see you, Purpose Church. We are continuing our 2023 series in which we cover the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. The title of our series is Jesus on Every Page, where we see him in every one of the books of the Bible. And today we finish up our first section of the Bible on the first five books of Scripture called Where It All Began. And next Sunday we're going to start a new section with the book of Joshua called No Perfect People Allowed. But the title for today's study of the fifth book of the Bible is Deuteronomy, Jesus, Our Prophet Like Moses. Uh, let's look at some orienting data uh, for the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy needs means second law or repeated law because in this book, Moses is going to repeat the laws guiding the Israelites one more time one more time before they enter into the promised land. Now we have a Bible reading plan that you can get online which will uh, take you through about five minutes a day to get a taste of the book of Deuteronomy. But if you wanted to read the entire book of Deuteronomy in, in one sitting, it would take you about two and a half hours. Now let's look at the content. It's a rehearsal of the covenant for a new generation of Israelites. So repeating the law, repeating the covenant for a new generation of Israelites just before the conquest of the promised land, just before they go into the promised land. And then uh, we have our historical coverage is during the final weeks east of the Jordan River. So they're on the east of the Jordan. It's the final weeks just before they go in to uh, the, the promised land. Uh, you can see on, on a map here how they are in this area um, that you see the purple on the east side of the Jordan River about to go into where they're going to settle on the west side as well as the east side in the green, that, that which is shaded green. So they're right here on the eastern side of the Jordan River, repeating the covenant with God, repeating the laws, um, one last challenge before they enter into uh, the promised land in the book of Joshua under the leadership of Joshua. And then the emphasis of this book is the oneness and uniqueness of Yahweh, the God of Israel, over against all other gods. Yahweh's covenant love for Israel in making them his people. Yahweh's universal sovereignty over all peoples, Israel as Yahweh's model for the nations. The significance of the central sanctuary where Yahweh is to be worshiped, Yahweh's concern for justice, that his people reflect his character, uh, the blessings of obedience and the dangers of disobedience. Now, where do we find Jesus in the book of Deuteronomy? We find him in Deuteronomy 18, verses 15 through 19. First of all, verse 15. Moses says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. From your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. And Peter, in his sermon in Acts chapter 3, identifies this prophet that Moses is referring to as being Jesus. Now, verse 16, uh, for this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb. Uh, Horeb was a mountain range, but it's really the same as Mount Sinai. Uh, Horeb is the mountain range. Uh, Mount Sinai is the peak uh, within that mountain range. So they're, they're really one and the same. Uh, for this is what you ask of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say 
is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything that I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the, that the prophet speaks in my name. Most important decision anybody ever has to take in, in their lives, in the history of humanity, anywhere in the universe, the central decision is what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with this prophet that would come like Moses and speak the words of God? And we have to decide, are we for him or against him? Will we follow him or reject him? Now the major theme in the book of Deuteronomy is setting up the next generation for success. That's basically what's going on in Deuteronomy. It's the weeks before the younger generation, the new generation, the old one has died out, and now the new one under the leadership, the old one under Moses is going to die out or like Moses will not be allowed to go into uh, the promised land. He's gonna see it uh, from the mountaintop, see the promised land, but he himself cannot enter in as we talked about last Sunday. But now they have a few weeks uh, before they go in and uh, they prepare uh, for success in the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy is all about setting up the next generation for success. And there are several ways that this can apply uh, to, your, to your life. Uh, first of all, it applies if you have children. It certainly applies to you with regard to your children, setting them up for success, or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. You want to do what you can to set up those next generations of your legacy for success in the future. It applies to any young adult that you happen to be mentoring at work or in the community or here at our church. Uh, this month, we just started up our spiritual uh, grandparenting ministry. Once again, where older members of our church family mentor students uh, in our church family. And this is just a wonderful program where the older part of our church family mentors the younger part, the next generation. I just heard about uh, 20 senior adults from our church going together to a Ganesha High School basketball game last week to support the team that our local missions pastor, Eric Vasquez, uh, coaches. Uh, that's just a wonderful example of what we're talking about here in Deuteronomy. Uh, this certainly applies to your involvement and support of our children's and of our uh, student ministries this weekend. Pastor Eric Holmstrom and Pastor Claire and Pastor Nick uh, are taking 150 students and their leaders up to the mountains uh, for winter camp. And this is one of the advantages of being part of a multi-generational church. And our, our church is a wonderfully balanced, maybe one of the most I've ever seen, uh, balanced between the generations. Here, this demonstrates it, uh, this chart, in which it has the age range and then the number of people from Purpose Church in those uh, age ranges, and then our church's percentage, and then the census percentage for Los Angeles County. Uh, for example, you'll see that 13.7% uh, uh, of, of our church is ages 0 to 9. Uh, for Los L.A. County, it's 12% of our population. 17.26% uh, in the 10 to 19 range for our church, 12%. Um, 11 for 20 to 29, 17% for LA, 13 and 16, 11 and 14, 12 and 12, 9 and 9, 6 and 5, 4 and 
three. And so you can see that it is just marvelously balanced to really reflect uh, the county in which our church is located. Uh, the biggest disparity is 5.9%, uh, but seven of the nine are within 3% and most are within 2% of each other. So we have a wonderfully balanced um, uh, group of people within our church. Of the 7,009 people that are connected with uh, Purpose Church, we're well balanced among the generations, uh, very similar to the county in which we find ourselves. So this gives us opportunities uh, to set up the next generation for success like we see in the book of Deuteronomy because we are are in the same church with each other. We're rubbing shoulders with each other uh, within the same church. After 153 years as a church, we are now reaching our seventh generation since we started in 1870. Seven generations, and just we're just now starting the seventh generation now uh, since our beginning in 1870. Uh, we started that seventh generation about three years ago when we were 150 years old, and now moving into that as we are 153 years old. So that means that we are now in our uh, seventh relay exchange, passing the gospel from generation to generation. Now, the most important part of a relay race is the relay exchange, the passing of, of the baton from one runner to another. Whenever I tell old uh, track stories, my wife Kimberly refers to these as pathetic old man stories. That's how she teases me whenever I start um, waxing eloquent about the glory days of the past. Well, this one, this story is actually a nightmare uh, that I have as, as I remembered. It was a wonderful thing, but there was a scary uh, part of it. I was running in the Drake Relays in Des Moines, uh, Iowa in 1977. And uh, it, was, it was a big meet, um, along with the Penn Relays in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia. It's uh, two of the bigger uh, relays, college relays within the country each year. Uh, for example, Caitlyn Jenner, uh, who was Bruce Jenner back then, uh, was the grand marshal of the event after he had just won the gold medal in the decathlon. Uh, there were 18,000 people in the stands. And the first race of the day was the distance medley, and that's the race that I was running. Uh, the distance medley is the first runner goes a half a mile, the second one a quarter of a mile, the third runner, that was me, goes three quarters of a mile, and then the fourth runner, Dan Henderson, uh, we had at our anchor leg for our fourth runner, was uh, perhaps the greatest small college runner in American history, and I can back that up because he still holds the small college record for the 5,000 meters 50 years later. Later, after almost 50 years, he still holds that, uh, that record. So that was a really good person to have at our anchor leg. And so I can still remember um, Eddie Wentz from Alaska ran the first half mile. Then Mark McClure ran the quarter mile, which is the, the fastest of them. So he's basically a sprinter. And he's coming on in on me, who's a distance runner, uh, for the three-quarter mile uh, leg of the, of the race. And he's, he's tearing it down the lane really fast. Now, I'm not used to relays because I'm a distance runner. You hardly ever do uh, relay races. So I'm standing there frozen, and I can still see him in my nightmares screaming at me, go, 
go, go. I was sitting there standing like a statue, like a deer in the headlights. And so I start running, grab the baton. And uh, fortunately, we had Dan Henderson running anchor. And so we won the race that day um, and uh, uh, went on to set a record for Wheaton College that still stands today, almost 50 years later. But the relay can, can really mess you up. You can run well, but if you don't pass the baton well, uh, you can lose the race. Here are some pictures of some disastrous relay exchanges uh, down through the history of the Olympics. Uh, here's one with the, um, the team from, the men's team from Japan. But at multiple Olympics, the United States men have often had the four best runners in the world, but a bad relay exchange like this one and then the next one that you'll uh, see here have caused them to lose the race. They have the best runners, but had a bad relay exchange in which they dropped the baton and so they lost the race. And so that's what we're talking about when we pass the gospel from one generation to another. We, we may run our leg of the relay well, but if we don't pass it on to the next generation, it is all for naught. It, it, it's all for nothing. They always say that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always one generation away from extinction. Oh, only one relay exchange, one generation away from extinction. And so that's why we're going to look at seven steps that Moses took to set up the next generation for success. Psalm 71 verse 17 says, Since my youth, God, you have taught me and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So the first thing Moses did that we can learn from is he challenged the Israelites to leave the familiar behind and claim new territory. We have a, a natural inertia spiritually to want to stick with the familiar. And sometimes we can be fearful of moving in to new territory like the Israelites were. Uh, Deuteronomy 1 verse 6, the Lord our God said to us at Horeb, and again, uh, Mount Sinai, Horeb, basically the same thing, Horeb the mountain range, Mount Sinai the peak within that mountain range. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. You've sat here at that mountain long enough. Break camp and advance into the hill country, the Amorites. Go to all the neighboring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev, and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in and take possession of the land the Lord swore he would give to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and to their descendants after them. Now let's go back to verse 1 once again. Uh, he says, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Uh, the journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea, if we put the map up there, uh, from Horeb where they were, Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai right here, uh, the journey from there to Kadesh Barnea, which is kind of the entrance into the promised land, only takes 11 days. But they had been at it for 38 years wandering in the wilderness. It should have taken 11 days. But because of a lack of faith 
an unwillingness to leave the familiar and venture in to new territory. Uh, it, it, they had been doing it for 38 years, wandering in the wilderness for 38 years when it should have taken them just 11 days. So let me ask myself and let me ask you, what is your Horeb? Uh, back to verse 1 once again. What is your Horeb in your life where God says you've stayed long enough at this mountain? What is the thing that God has asked you to do that you've put off doing? What is the change he's asked you to do in your life that you've put off doing? What is the thing you know, the new territory you know God wants you to move into, but you haven't done it? And God is saying to you, and he's saying to me, what is your horror? Ask the Holy Spirit, either right now or at the end of this message, say, Lord, what is that horror? What is that thing where you're saying to me today, you have stayed long enough at this mountain? It's time to break camp. It's time to move in to that thing, to be obedient, to follow after God in that adventure that he wants you to take, to obey him in this area where we have procrastinated. And then number two, uh, Moses mentored someone to take his place when he was gone. He mentored someone to take his place when he was gone. Deuteronomy 3, verse 27. Uh, God said, go up to the top of Pisgah and look west and north and south and east. Look at the land, the promised land, with your own eyes since you're not going to cross this Jordan. And we looked at the reason for that uh, last Sunday. But uh, Moses is going to die. He's going to pass off the scene. But commission Joshua. He had uh, somebody, a young man, that he was mentoring to take over the leadership of Israel once he was gone. But commission Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he's the one that's going to lead this people across and will cause them to inherit the land uh, that you will see. Who is your Joshua at work or in your organization? Uh, where you're in leadership and you need to prepare somebody to take over that leadership from you, uh, or in, in your family, or maybe in a, in a small group, a life group that you're leading here at church, and you need to prepare somebody to take over there uh, once you are gone, or spiritually, uh, that, that person that you're preparing to take over for you, or your children, or your grandchildren. Who, who is your Joshua that you need to commission and then you need to encourage that person and you need to strengthen them so they can lead where you have led once, uh, once you are gone. You know, a pastor in Nevada uh, sent this quote uh, to me because he said that he admired so much how Purpose Church has been able to do this so effectively down through the years. He had watched our church through the years and he was in such admiration as to how uh, we are able to do this process of passing the baton from generation to generation. So he sent me this quote by Jim Collins, uh, Collins, who's the leadership guru and did extensive research of various companies in, in America. And he, he wrote a book called Built to Last about the companies in America that are able to go uh, long term. They, they're built in order to last. And he applies those principles uh, to us as uh, church leaders as well. 
we found that the visionary companies did a better job at developing and promoting highly competent managerial talent from inside the company, and they thereby attained greater continuity of excellence at the top through multiple generations. Now, everyone should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy. Um, a Paul is somebody who is mentoring you. A Barnabas is somebody who goes side by side with you to encourage you in life, like Barnabas did for Paul. And, and then Paul, everybody should have a Paul who mentored Timothy, and then everybody should have a Timothy, uh, somebody that you are mentoring. So let me ask you a question. Who is your Paul? Who, who is the person that is mentoring you? And then, who is your Barnabas? Who's the person that's side by side with you in the Christian life to encourage you along the journey? And then finally, who is your Timothy? Who is the person that you are mentoring uh, to follow you once you are gone? And then number three, uh, Moses challenged the parents to model God's commands and to teach his commands uh, to their children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, talk to your children and to your grandchildren about what God is doing in your life. Talk to people from the younger generation, even if they're not your children or grandchildren. Talk, talk to children. Talk to, to, um, uh, to people, uh, younger people. Uh, speak to them about what God is doing in your life. And of course, uh, particularly as parents, model for them what you believe. It's been said that more things are caught than taught. And that's certainly true in parenting and in grandparenting. More things are caught from our children uh, than are taught to our children. And model for them your priorities. Uh, let them see in action what you believe are the most important things in life. Uh, for example, does just about anything take priority over being at church to worship God and to study his word? Or is it a high priority? Do your children, do the people around you, your friends, uh, your grandchildren, do they see it as a high uh, priority? <laughs> uh, a few days ago, I saw Mark Leopold, Mark and Melissa Leopold. Uh, they are the leaders of our pre-marriage uh, ministry and do a wonderful job mentoring young couples, preparing them uh, to be married. And I saw Mark uh, from our church at a church event which happened to be opposite his favorite football team playing in the NFL playoffs. Now, this will just show you what a bad pastor I am. I didn't say to him, it's great to see you, Mark. Instead, I said, what, on the, what in the world are you doing here at this? Uh, what, what are you thinking? <laughs> Your team is playing right now. You know, I, I guess I must not be that much of a pastor. Uh, my priorities are probably in the wrong place. Um, but he said to me, he says, well, you know what? I wasn't going to be here. And then I got to thinking about Matthew 6, verse 33. And so I decided to come. 
I said, well, okay, but I hope you're taping the game right now, aren't you? And yes, he was taping the game because God uh, invented uh, or allowed us to invent uh, the ability to tape football games so that we could obey Matthew 6, which goes like this. But seek first his, God's kingdom. Put him in that number one priority and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. And you know what? He missed that game, but his team won. I'm not saying that's always going to happen. I'm just saying in this case, he sought first the kingdom of God and uh, all the other things worked out uh, as well. So do the people around you, especially if you're a parent with children, do they see you modeling, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? That first, and then seeing the other things fall into place when you do that. And then number four, Moses challenged the next generation to follow the right kind of leader. Now in Deuteronomy, Moses gives us three S's that will trip us up uh, in our Christian life, that will trip us up when we're following God, and especially when we're in leadership. And those three S's are self, sex, and silver. The three deadly S's that Another S, Satan uses to trip us up. Self, um, seeking ourself rather than serving the people that God has given us to lead. We seek to serve ourselves. Uh, sex, uh, uh, out, outside of marriage that gets us in trouble or pornography or things like that. Um, uh, and, and silver, self, sex, and silver. You say, Glenn, where is that in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, it's in chapter 17, verse 14. Moses said, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. Okay, find the leader that God has chosen. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Okay, that is, he is a fellow follower of God. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. There it is, for himself. The way that kings back then would show off their power. Uh, the, the way they would be tempted to depend on their own military power rather than on God's power would be how many horses they had. Archaeologists tell us that the whole land of Israel, particularly in Megiddo, they just find all kinds of horse stalls. Solomon had so many horse stalls that he made Churchill Downs in Kentucky, he made it look like nothing. They have found so many places where he stored his horses. And he had to go to Egypt because Egypt had the best horses. And of course, that would open them up to temptation. Uh, the, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself. There's the first S, self. Or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives. Okay, so self and then sex. That is, kings would have multiple wives. And maybe those wives would not follow after God. They'd follow false gods. And so his heart will be led astray by these false gods that all these uh, other wives uh, would, would follow after. So self, sex. He must not accumulate large amounts of, there's the third S, 
silver, and of gold. And of course, Solomon uh, broke uh, all, all three of, uh, of those. Um, self, uh, sex, and silver. We've got to be so careful not to love money, silver, more than God. Uh, not to, to disobey God in the area of sexual relations and to live for ourselves rather than serving the people that God has called on us to serve. But here's another S, and that is the solution. Here's the solution to those three S's. Uh, verse 18, when he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him. And he's to read it all the days of his life. This is a daily quiet time we're talking about. We're every day spending time in God's word. He's to read it all the days of his life. That's how you stay away from temptation. Reading God's word all the days of your life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. And not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites. Oh, every king back then thought they were better than the people they served. Every king did, but not the king of the Israelites. Because you see, when you're in leadership, everybody's equal at the foot of the cross. Everybody is to submit to God's authority. Everybody submits to God's word. Uh, this king was not to be lording it over the people because that king was under the authority of God's word in the same way the people he served were under the authority of God's word. Not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left Then he and his descendants will reign a long time. They'll have a healthy church 153 years and, and going strong. Uh, they, if we avoid the three S's and we put scripture in our hearts on a daily basis, then he and his descendants will reign a long time over the kingdom uh, of Israel. And then number five, he encouraged the next generation that God's presence would go with them. Chapter 31, verse one. Then Moses went out and spoke these words to all of Israel. I am now 120 years old, and I am no longer able to lead you. <laughs> okay, 120 years old. Can't do it anymore. What do you think I am? A Supreme Court justice? What do you think I am? A member of Congress? I'm 120. I, I, I can't do this anymore. The Lord has said to me, you shall not cross the Jordan. The Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you and you will take possession of their land. Joshua also will cross over ahead of you as the Lord has, has said. And then skipping down to verse six. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him, in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So spiritually, you encourage the next generation that God will be with them. But also in addition to that, you do concrete, practical things that will set them up for success. 
And you can see this in what David did with his son uh, Solomon. Uh, God told David that he couldn't build the temple because of all the blood that he had shed as a, as a soldier. But God told him that Solomon, his son, would build the temple. So David did everything he could to set up his son and the nation of Israel after him, that next generation, for success. It says in 1 Chronicles 22, verse 5, David said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced. Uh, David was the first helicopter parent. Uh, he said, my son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all the nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. And then it says in Acts, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep or, or he died. And part of God's purpose for his life was to set up the next generation for success. And part of God's purpose for our lives is to set up the next generation uh, for success. Uh, David did not have a bumper sticker on his chariot that said, I'm spending my kids' inheritance. Uh, David didn't think that way. He thought, what can I do to help uh, the next generation succeed? He was setting up his nation uh, for success. And the secret of our success at Purpose Church is that for 153 years and now for seven generations, we've been setting up the next generation for success. A church health expert said that those under age 40 have most of the best ideas and those over 40 have most of the resources. So in a healthy church, those over 40 are willing to share their resources to support the ideas of those under the age of 40. Those under 40, they tend to see the new ways that things can be done to better reach people for Christ. Um, they, they tend to see those. And so those of us over 40 have most of the resources. So at a healthy church, uh, we share some of our resources in order to, um, to fund those ideas as to how we can be um, more effective in reaching the next generations for Christ. A few weeks ago, I was on a Cub Scout nature hike with my grandson, Jem, uh, near Seattle. And I saw this. It's called a nurse stump. Do you see the old stump here and the new tree um, growing up out of it? Um, it's called a nurse stump because the stump of the previous tree provides the nourishment for the new tree to grow. And I quickly took out my phone and took this picture immediately because I thought that's a picture of Purpose Church for the past 153 years. For the last 150 years, one generation has been a nurse stump for the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. Each generation has been a nurse stump for the next generation. And then number, number six, he challenged them to follow God's word. Chapter 31, verse nine. So Moses wrote down this law and gave it to the Levitical priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. Then Moses commanded them, at the end of every seven years in the year of canceling debts during the festival of tabernacles, uh, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place he will choose, you shall read this law before them in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, 
women, and children, and the foreigners residing in your towns so they can listen and learn to fear the Lord your God and follow carefully all the words of this law. Their children who do not know this law must hear it and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. Chapter 32, verse 45, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all of Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I've solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them you will live long in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess. And then number seven, Moses blessed them. Chapter 33, verse 29. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. And then chapter 34, verse seven. Moses was 120 years old when he died. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. The Israelites grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days until the time of weeping and mourning was over. There's a time to grieve for the loss of a beloved leader, but then that time is over, and now you follow the new leader. Now Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. Since then, no prophet has risen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. For no one has ever shown the mighty power or performed the awesome deeds that Moses did in the sight of all of Israel. No one, that is, until the prophet who was to come, who was like Moses, but far, far greater than Moses. And his name will be called Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you will use us as iron sharpens iron to um, our generation to sharpen the next generation so that they too can serve you faithfully, generation to generation, until Jesus comes back. And we pray it in his name. And all God's family, wherever you are watching right now or listening right now, and all God's family said, amen.